And let's pray. Father, we're thankful that we serve a living Savior, that He is alive, uh, that He did die for the sake of our sins and so that we could have life, but He was raised from the dead. And on this day of the week and on this day of the year, we celebrate that uh, resurrection and are reminded of the great power that You showed when You raised Him from the dead. Now He's exalted. He sits at Your right hand and He ever intercedes for us and uh, works in our behalf to bring about our good and Your glory. And we pray that that would be accomplished today as we look into Your Word and are changed by it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, after today's lesson, we'll be halfway through the Old Testament, uh, at least in, as far as the number of uh, times that we're, we're going to be going through. we got 26 weeks through the Old Testament. This is week number 13. And... Um, so we've got a long way to go, but we've come quite a, quite a ways. The Proverbs are exactly what the title of the book suggests. They are a collection of Proverbs, collection of sayings, wise, um, wise sayings, advice, principles. Some of them are uh, connected thematically, like chapters 1 through 9 and the last two chapters. There's a theme there that runs through it. But the rest of it, chapters 10 through 29, are more randomly put together. Now, there seems to be some connection with some of them, uh, how they're placed in the Proverbs, but, but for the most part, they're, they're um, a collection of, of Proverbs. Most of them were written by David's son, who ruled over Israel um, around the, the mid-10th century B.C. And, um, of course, we know Solomon was prosperous and, and living during a peaceful time in history because of the great um, battles that David had won, um, Solomon was able to live during a time of much peace. And he actually created a lot of peace himself by um, marrying a lot of princesses. And by doing so, uh, he, he, he um, was able to, to have good graces with the kings, their fathers. And uh, so not the best way to, to bring about peace, but, but nevertheless there was a relative peace in the world during that time. The Proverbs are full of wisdom uh, of a man who has lived his life and has seen much of the world and wants that, that, um, those truths to be passed on to his, his son primarily. These are often um, given to his son. And he wants to show how to live a good life and avoid the mistakes that, that he has made and that a lot of other people make. And um, so that's kind of the, the point of, of the Proverbs. See the, the theme there? is to pursue wisdom in all things, for by it you will understand the ways of the Lord and you will avoid evil. And that comes from chapter 2. I think chapter 2 best sums up all of what the Proverbs are about. Um, that, that if you pursue wisdom in all things, then you will understand the ways of the Lord and you will avoid evil. Let me just show you that quickly. Proverbs chapter 2. Um, I think that kind of helps us to see the entire theme. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1, If you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. Verse 3, If you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver, search for her as hidden treasures. So here's a number of if statements. 
in verses 1 through 4. If you do these things, if you search all these things, well, we want to know what's going to happen. And that's where you get the then statement in verses 5 through 22. Verse 5, you'll discern the fear of the Lord. You'll discover the knowledge of God. The Lord gives wisdom, verse 6. From His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He goes on. And um, verse 11, discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you. So it does all these things. It helps you to understand the ways of the Lord. And then verse 12 moves on to the idea that it will help us to avoid evil, right? To deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things. He goes on later to talk about how it delivers you, verse 16, from the strange woman, um, and so on. So, verses 1-4, through four, pursue wisdom in all things. If you do that, then, verses 5-11, through 11, you will understand the ways of the Lord, and then, verses 12-22, through you will avoid evil. You will um, stay away from evil. The bottom of the first page there, the Lord is the ground, the means, and the goal of wisdom. This is in keeping with the, one of the key texts there. You know, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, so the, the ground is that, that all wisdom is first found in God. That is that God is the wise one. He is wisdom. Doesn't, it, he doesn't simply have wisdom. You know, he, he's somehow he's got a storehouse of wisdom whenever we need it. He, he kind of draws from that. No, He is wisdom. And so we go to God as the Creator and the Sustainer of all things. And He tells us what is true and what is right. But He's not only the grounds, the, the source, we could say, of wisdom, but He's also the means of wisdom, right? The only way that we can get wisdom is if we come, we come through God. Now, obviously we recognize that in the unbelieving world, they um, are, there is wisdom even in unbelievers, but their wisdom is a derived wisdom. Right? Whether they admit it or not, they're actually borrowing from a Christian worldview. They're actually borrowing from, from um, God's wisdom, even if they don't want to admit it. And um, So the only means to get true wisdom is from God. Only God can give it. And then the goal of wisdom is God as well. The ultimate value of having wisdom is so that we can know God better. Right? The, the fool says in his heart that there is no God. The wise person recognizes that God exists and that all pursuit of wisdom is for the sake of knowing God better. Right? Chapter 2, verses 5-11. through 11, So that we will understand the ways of the Lord. What is it that God's doing in all of this? So God is the ground or the source and He is the means and He is the, the goal of wisdom. Any questions on that? All right, turn to the back of your handout and see the, this um, study outline for Proverbs. This might help us if you have these study outlines as you're reading through the Scriptures just to have kind of an overview of what you're looking at. The first nine chapters are Solomon's wisdoms for the young man, probably his son, but meant to be passed on to us as well. Uh, and these are more thematically based, which means that um, it comes across like a story or uh, um, a didactic a teaching type of session. And then in chapters 10 through 29, you have more of these independent Proverbs that you could kind of take one or sometimes two verses, and those are independent Proverbs. You could study them. You could, you could feast on them. I think of chapters 10 through 29, the Proverbs in them, like honey. Um, they're not meant to be read in huge chunks. You know, we, we tend to 
and, and I recognize, you know, in our Bible reading schedule, we tend to read through at least one chapter a day, uh, at least the, the Bible reading schedule that, that I have. But um, So sometimes you read through a whole chapter, and but, but each one of those Proverbs is like honey that you can, if you have too much of it, it's not bad for you. It's just, it's just hard to, it's like drinking concentrate, right? It's meant to be savored and, and to not be diluted. That kind of messes up my analogy. But, um, but the point is that there, it's so rich that you need to, you need to savor it. And, um, and that's the nature of the Proverbs. They're, they're deep and rich. And if you think about them, we're going to look at one today, um, there's much truth in there. But if you pass over them quickly, like, you know, you go through a narrative, you can read a whole chapter and only have one main point, Right? Because all the other stuff is, is details. It's, it's telling you about the location and kind of the nature of things that were going on. And then you get, finally get to the main point that God is powerful to save or something like that. But in the Proverbs, you have each of these individual ones that have something to say about God or about yourself or about life or about sin. And if you breeze past them, then you often miss the point of the Proverbs. So that's chapters 10 through 29, and, and you would do well to slow down in those sections. Chapters 30 to 31 are a couple more uh, thematic um, sections. Proverbs 31, of course, you recognize this, is um, about the, the woman of noble character. All right, so let's uh, examine the Proverbs. What makes the Proverbs different than other types of Scripture? Remember, we need to read Scripture according to its genre, its style of writing. We, we, don't, read, we don't read prose or teaching um, sections like we read narratives. We don't read poetry um, like we, we read an ap- apocalyptic section. So we need to read them according to the way that the author wrote them. And in this case, the Proverbs we see our general principles and observations. Most often they are general principles and observations. So turn to chapter 26 and let me show you an example of this. Chapter 26. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not profitable, but this means that they are generally true. This doesn't happen in every single case. We like to think, well, the Scriptures are true, and they are, and so that means that they're true every time. But the Proverbs are more general statements of this is what normally happens. Um, But look at this and I'll show you. Verse 27, chapter 26, He who digs a pit will fall into it, and he who rolls a stone, it will come back on him. Okay, so does that mean that everyone who has ever dug a uh, a pit has fallen into it? And that everyone who has ever rolled a stone has been crushed by that stone? No. I mean sure you've dug pits yourself and not fallen in and you've rolled stones without being harmed the proverb here is saying that that you must not do things with the seat the rolling of stones was the um the stones were were boundary markers boundary stones um in the in israel they would set up the the boundary stones to see where your property lies so rolling the stone was what something that would happen in the middle of the night they would take these large stones and move them over to, to make their property look larger. And, and so this was a, an act of deceit. Or digging a pit was the idea to set a trap, right? It was to set a trap for someone else. And, and what the Proverbs is saying is that often when you try to set a trap, when you use deceit to go through life, then it often comes back on you. 
That's the point. And in order for us to understand that, we have to slow down a little bit, and we also have to understand that this is not um, this is not guaranteed every single time. That every single person who acts in dece- deceit will uh, receive some kind of trouble, right? I mean, haven't you yourself acted with deceit and not been caught, right? Um, now, ultimately, you will be caught. Ultimately, you will be judged. Um, for your good and your evil at the judgment seat of Christ and as and non-Christians will ultimately be judged for their sins as well. But but in this life there are many people who tell lies and act deceitfully and they get away with it. Okay, but that doesn't negate the truth of the proverb which is that generally speaking lies do come back to bite us in the end. That's what the author of of this proverb wants us to know that it's not good to live a life of deceit. So that so the application for us would be something like this. Don't try to deceive people because generally speaking, you will harm yourself most of all. Right? We use deceit to try to harm other people and what the proverbs are saying is is that you're generally generally speaking you're going to harm yourself, so don't do it. Okay, so does that make sense? Recognize that most of the proverbs are done in this way, that they're general principles. Right. Think of another one. Train up a child in the way he should go, and and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Right. Does that mean that every single godly parent has a godly child, or has all godly children? No. There's actually a possibility that you could train up your children in the way that they go, and they actually could depart from it. That's because these are proverbs; they're general in in nature. And um, so we need to recognize that that's the way that they were intended, and that's the way where they ought to be received. Now. Keep that in mind. At the same time, notice that next point at the top of the second page there. Some Proverbs do contain eternal truths that always strictly apply. In other words, some Proverbs are guaranteed. I said most Proverbs are general general statements. Turn back to chapter 16. I'll show you a couple examples of this. Chapter 16, verse 33. And would someone read that? Okay, so what do you think this Proverbs is teaching us? What What is a lot? Right, so they didn't have the completed Scriptures like we did, and God somehow worked through the casting of lots, even you know when Jonah was thrown over, um, or when they had to choose a disciple in Acts, they used lots. And so, so what is this proverb telling us then? Okay, it's t- telling us something about God's sovereignty. So we could say something like this. Uh, the dice is rolled, but every number that comes up on that die is determined by the Lord. Is that true? All the time or just some of the time? All the time, right? If God is sovereign over all things, then He's sovereign even over what we often look at as luck or chance. He's even sovereign over, you know, kind of the the drawing of straws idea. And and so it's every notice that second line, it's every decision is from the Lord. Every single one. There's no there's no caveat here, there's no generally speaking in this proverb. This is true all the time. God is in control because uh, because if he's not in control of that, then how can we be sure that he's in control of anything else? 
if he's only, you know, kind of, I'm in control of this part of the universe, but these things are outside of my control, um, then God's ultimately not in control. He's reacting. Turn to chapter 17 and verse 15 and see another example of one that is guaranteed. It's all, it always is true. Um, let someone read that one. Ch- chapter 17, verse 15. Okay, so does God just sometimes hate those who justify the evil and those who who um, condemn the, the innocent? Does God only sometimes hate those kind of people? No, He always does, right? So this one is guaranteed. This is an abomination to Him. And and so you're going to find some of the verses, like chapter 16. Uh, I think it's verses 6 and 7. Um, no, it's not. But the one I'm thinking of is these six, six things does the Lord hate and seven are abomination to Him. Um, those When you see those abomination type verses, those are also guaranteed always. Not sometimes He hates injustice. He always hates injustice. So that, that speaks to the character of God. And, and when you're looking at the character of God, it doesn't change. It's not um, partial. It's not temperamental. Um, it, it is eternal, it's unchanging, and so we can be sure that it always happens. Does that make sense? Any questions on that? Alright, turn over to chapter 10, and we'll look at how the Proverbs are interpreted. We're going to use an example here um, to think through together. Verse 8, where I am. Okay, so first thing we need to recognize when it comes to Proverbs and understanding them, remember I said we need to slow down a little bit rather than just breezing through. In order for us to understand the point of them, we need to recognize that Proverbs work with parallelisms. We talked about this last time when we were looking at the Psalms. Um, parallelism is different than how we write poetry in, in the English language. We tend to use um, rhythm and rhyming. In the Hebrew language, they use parallelism, which means they take some concepts and they, they either restate them or they show some contrast. Okay, so let's see if we can find the things that are parallel. They don't have to be identical, but, but they're parallel in each of these two lines. The wise in heart will receive commands, Proverbs 10.8, but a, bab- a babbling fool will be ruined. So wh- what do you see there that is parallel in each line? Okay, so we have the... The wise in heart. The wise in heart goes with the babbling fool. Good. What else? Okay, receive commands and be ruined. Good. There's one other parallelism that's a little bit harder to see because, and this one's actually pretty easy because. 
you have, um, I mean, you actually have an adjective here, and this is kind of an adjectival phrase that goes with, and you have the, the main noun here and here, um, and then you have the verbs, and they're all in order. Now, the Proverbs don't always do that. They don't always go in order, so you're going to have to, again, slow down and see see what's going on there, see where the parallelism is. But there's another parallelism here that you have a babbling fool which has the idea of, of always doing what? Yeah, just talking all the time. And what, what do you have with a person who's receiving commands? Yeah, you have a person who's listening. So you have a kind of another parallel, a parallelism here, um, a contrast that you have someone who's listening and someone who's talking. Um, so starting to slow down and, and mull over these texts will help open our eyes to some of the possible possible different interpretations. Next thing we need to do is identify figures of speech. So in this example we just looked at, we said that uh, we at the beginning we saw that said that digging a pit and rolling a stone were ways of talking about deception. Um, so there were some figures of speech there, right? Digging a pit is setting a trap. Rolling a stone is actually moving boundary lines. How about babbling fools, right? A babbling fool is someone who talks a lot, so it's a figure of speech. He doesn't. That's the nature of, of these proverbs and poetry is that they don't just come out and say it. It doesn't say the wise in heart listens to commands, but a person who talks a lot will be ruined. Instead, it gives us a, a, a vivid picture of a person who's just constantly babbling like, like a, a brook or a fountain just constantly moving and never stops. Um, and then will be ruined is another figure of speech. Most likely some kind of tragedy will come to them, probably referring to the relationships they have, right? person who's constantly babbling, they're going to ruin themselves because in the multitude of words there is sin. That's what Proverbs says in another place. So your person who's constantly babbling, never listening, um, is a person who's going to ruin their relationships. Right? They're a person who's going to ruin their relationships at home and at work and uh, in the community, uh, with the parent, uh, at church, and so on. And there's another observation that we need to make here in this verse as well, and that is that this proverb has to do with superiors, doesn't it? Notice the first line, someone who receives commands. So this proverb doesn't have to do with how we relate to our children because we don't receive commands from our children. At least we shouldn't. And we, you know, or students or strangers. This is not talking about that. It's talking about the people who are over us, right? People who are, have responsibility to lead us. And we would do well to listen to them, to receive commands from them. Our, that is our parents, our bosses, our government officials, and so on. The third thing that we need to think about is uh, to consider is that we need to summarize what the proverb says in our own words. So based on what you've said what you've seen so far, what might a summary of this proverb be? Okay, not using the words that you have there. I mean, you can use some of them, but but how would you summarize this this proverb? Okay? Good. You could throw in some results in there too, right? Listen, respond to those who are speaking to you, right? Because it will, it will, um, seems to be there's an kind of implied, there's an implied benefit, right? That 
Obviously, the negative is if you're a babbling fool, you're going to be ruined. You're going to bring some kind of tragedy. Tragedies, but but the implied positive result is that there's going to be some kind of benefit for you. That God's actually put our authorities over us for a reason. All right, good. So, to be wise is not to be above counsel or advice or commands, but to listen. If you're unsubmissive and always talking and running your mouth and finding excuses to not obey, then you're going to wreck your relationships. So summarize the proverb in your own words. Fourthly, find an example from the Bible. So what do you think? Can you find an, can you think of an example in the Bible where a subordinate harmed their relationship because they would not accept the commands of their superior? What was it? King Saul to who? Oh, talking about the uh, the Amalekites. Are you talking about the Amalekites? They had to kill them all. Okay, good. So the Amalekites are all supposed to be First Samuel 15. There, um, they were all supposed to be killed, and he decides, you know what? Maybe we can hang on to some of these animals. We'll offer them for sacrifices to God, of course, and then the king will spare him as well. And and Samuel says, what's this bleeding of sheep in my ears, and so on. Good. Can you think of any other examples? of a subordinate harming their relationship because they're unwilling to listen. Okay. Yeah, there's a clear expectation of what their responsibility was and they thought, you know what, this is basically between them and God ultimately, but um, certainly if they would have asked Aaron, then he would have turned them down for that, that type of offering as well. But yes, it's a good example. How about John Mark? when um, Paul and Barnabas, Paul wanted to go one way and John didn't. And so um, so he, he harmed his relationship with, with Paul for a while. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of ba- debate who was the, the blame there. You know, was it Paul or was it John Mark? seems like there was some immaturity on Mark's part. Um, but whatever the case, um, they did reconcile in the end. And um, but, but John Mark did have a falling out there with Paul because of John Mark's insubordinates. All right, then finally, try to apply it to your own life. So, again, if this is talking about myself in relationship to my superiors, then here's a good way to just start thinking through how I can apply this to my life, right? Who are my superiors in life? Okay, and we can just start writing them down. Okay, so if I'm at home, it's my parents. Okay, if, if I'm a wife, then it's my husband. If... I'm a church member, then it's my pastor. If I'm a citizen, it's my governing officials, right? If I'm an employee, then it's my employer. So I have all these responsibilities to listen, to receive commands, rather than being the babbling fool that's saying, I I know how to do this, I don't need to listen to you, I'm going to do it my own way. We follow the path of Aaron's sons and, you know, King Saul and John Mark when we when we talk instead of listen, when we, um, when we are subversive instead of submissive. And so when we do receive commands, we actually show ourselves to be wise. That's what a wise person does. They receive commands. All right, so you can do this with any of the Proverbs. Just take out one of these Proverbs from chapters 10 through 29 and, and slow down, see the parallelism, see what's ultimately being trying to be said, right? Because he could have said, 
if he wanted to, he could have said this. He could have just said, a fool will be ruined. But he actually said a babbling fool. So that actually gives us a little bit more insight into what kind of person doesn't receive commands. Or he could have just said, the wise person, right? So, so why are all these individual words in here? Every word is inspired by God and, and is profitable. So try to slow down and consider what the Proverbs have to say. All right, any questions? All right, let's look at a couple um, texts here that kind of summarize some of the main points in Proverbs, and then we'll uh, get to the video here. Um, chapter 1, verse 7, I said, The Lord is the ground of wisdom, the means of wisdom, the goal of wisdom. And here at the beginning of the Proverbs, Solomon says in chapter 1, verse 7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and, un and instruction. So there's an implied expectation that we actually listen to wisdom, that we actually want to learn. We haven't gotten to the point where we have arrived. Like, okay, I've been in church long enough or I know enough through my own experience that I don't need to learn anymore. These Proverbs, I've read them a number of times before, and so I don't need this. This is for someone else. I can really see how this could apply to someone else. No, this is for us. This is um, the, the, the fool is the one who is unwilling to, to listen to wisdom and instruction. And we have instruction right here in the Word. Uh, the next thematic pa passage I already showed you, chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. So let's move forward to Matthew chapter 12, verse 42. That God is the source of wisdom. Christ is the embodiment of wisdom. Christ is God, so He is the, the source of wisdom as well. He's the means and, and the goal of wisdom. But, but if we want to see what wisdom looks like in a person, we look at Christ. And here, Jesus points to His own wisdom um, when He's talking to these religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees in verse 38. And He says in verse 41, "...the men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here." So you didn't repent but even the people of Nineveh did with, with less revelation than you have. Verse 42, The queen of the south will rise up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. And I am he. That's what he's saying. Something greater than Solomon. Solomon is unsurpassed in wisdom in human history until Jesus comes. And then when Jesus comes, He says, something greater than Solomon's here, it's, it's me. And so, um, so no one can understand the world and life and the consequences of, of our actions like Jesus can. And, and so the best thing that we can do is to, the wisest thing that we can do is to repent of our sins and put our faith in, in Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, Paul glories in the wisdom of the gospel. Right, that this gospel is so wise that it supersedes, supersedes the human attempts at wisdom by all the wisest men to ever live, that, that to them, the gospel is foolishness. 
but to us who are being saved, it is the wisdom of God. And so, no matter how wise we might be in earthly things without the Gospel, uh, our wisdom is, is still insufficient. And so, our, our wisdom is only right and proper in, in light of God's wisdom and in, in the light of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. So, the Proverbs are, are rich and full of wisdom. I would encourage you, especially in chapters 10 to 29, to read them slowly and even you know, make it a habit to, to read one or two uh, Proverbs, not chapters, but actually Proverbs, verses a day, and, and then meditate on them. Savor them in your mouth. Think about them. What does it mean? Maybe even write them down on a card. Put it in your pocket and pull it out You know, when you have some free time throughout the day and consider what these Proverbs say and what they mean. All right. All right, let's take a look at the video. Do you have any questions before we do that? Turn that back on. Remember the story in First Kings chapter. 